welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read from Jeremiah chapter 47. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise of the stomping of the hooves of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands, because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. For Yahweh is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza, Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourselves? Ah, sword of Yahweh, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself into your scabbard rest and be still. How can it be quiet when Yahweh has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore he has appointed it. This is the word of the Lord. So today we continue our section started yesterday in chapter 46, God's judgment against the various nations. Yesterday was Egypt, today Philistia, or the Philistines. The Philistines live to the southwest of Israel, the promised land. They would be the southwestern bordering neighbor. They are thus on the Mediterranean Sea before you would get to the Sinai Peninsula off to the southwest. They have been a constant opponent for the Israelites throughout the centuries, and the false god worship has been a big part of that problem as well, as they have worked to convince the people of Israel and Judah to not follow Yahweh. Pharaoh Samtik and Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. So Samtik was 664 to 610 BC, Necho from 610 to 595. Both of them had a history of battling with Philistia. Based on the timing of Jeremiah's book here, he started his prophecies in 628 BC. This could then refer to either one of them, depending on when the actual event took place. So, God is prophesying that he is going to use an enemy to judge Philistia. And in this case, that enemy is going to be Pharaoh. So God, in the previous chapter, used Babylon to judge Egypt. This is likely rewinding prior to that and using Egypt to judge Philistia. The Lord works this way. Even today, he uses one wicked nation to judge another wicked nation. Every king, every governing authority in this world comes from God, Romans 13, verse 1. And he uses them then as he sees fit. He will use them to bring his judgment in this place and in this time. So, as we get into then the actual words of the the judgment itself, starting at verse 2 there, it's going to sound similar to what we saw yesterday in chapter 46, verses 7 and 8. Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. So the picture here, again, is thinking of a river that rises to the point of overflowing its banks and the water just goes out everywhere and and causes destruction, so it will be with this army that is going to come upon Philistia. It's 
interesting that he says that they will come from the north, as we know that Egypt is south from there, but that is not to say that as Pharaoh is doing his military campaigning, that he might not already be north of Philistia, like, for example, when the Egyptians had marched to Carchemish against Babylon, that he might not be on his way home when he decides to go ahead and finish off these guys. Hard to say exactly, again, when this is on the calendar, but both of those pharaohs had a history of it. Men will cry out, every inhabitant will wail. So the destruction, again, very thorough of Philistia as well. The noise of the stomping of the hooves of his stallions, chariots, the the rumbling of their wheels. Chariots were basically the best war machine of the time. They would be like the 20th century's tank. Don't offer quite as much protection, but intimidation, definitely. I mean, if a, even today, if a line of tanks just suddenly rolled down your neighborhood street, it would be intimidating, especially if they were enemy tanks. You would not know what to do. How would you defend yourself? You, even with the gun rights in the United States, taking your gun out of your gun cabinet at home and, and going and shooting at a tank is really not going to do any good. So it was for them. If you saw your enemy coming, riding on chariots against you, most nations didn't have chariots, especially not God's people. Israel and Judah did not. Egypt did. And so those chariots were greatly intimidating They made men able to move at great speeds. Uh, They could control weapons from their chariots and hurt you, and it was hard to stop them. And at this, fathers won't even look back to their children. This is a really sad picture. A weakness of sinful nature. Dads, since this is a podcast that is meant to aim to help parents teach their children the faith. The Lord has given you, he has entrusted your children to you, and putting their lives in front of your own is part of what that means. The primary task is to teach your children the faith, but love your neighbor. John 15, no greater love has someone than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Most fathers, if you asked them, would say they were willing to die for their children, but in a moment where push comes to shove, when the chariot wheel hits the road, when these fathers cared only for themselves, they sought to defend only themselves and they did not protect the little ones. This could be a point for a family conversation. In what ways is this true today? In what ways, this would be a humbling conversation for dad at the dinner table, in what ways have I lived my life that have made you feel like I think I'm more important than you? What could I do to better love and serve you, provide for you, protect you, share Christ with you? Again, that would be a quite humbling 
thing, but we are to be humble people. And it would give you the opportunity to hear from your family. And if you if you do this, you got to be humble. Don't defend yourself. You're going to take a few licks. Repent. Ask not just for the Lord's forgiveness, although we must, but ask for the forgiveness of your wife and of your children. That's an important part of passing on the faith to our kids is to teach them humility, to teach them forgiveness. I'm sorry, son. Or in my case, daughter. I only have daughters. I'm sorry, my daughters, that I've spent too much time on my phone. I'm sorry that I have made it seem like, you know, my work was more important than you. I need your forgiveness. Can you please forgive me? The day is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. Those would be allies up to the north. Um, Both Tyre and Sidon are port cities on the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre, probably roughly 100 miles to the north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's fairly on par. Um, It's to the east of Philistia. Sidon is a little farther up north yet, maybe another 25 miles or so from Tyre. And so even these allies that are wealthy and, and strong cannot do anything because Yahweh is destroying the Philistines. There is nothing to stop him. That's the other family conversation maybe for this one. How do we avoid the same judgment? How do we avoid God destroying us? Because in my sin, that's what I deserve. Can I fight back against God's judgment? The answer to that is no. It's only by a gift. It's only by Jesus Christ that I am not condemned and destroyed like I deserve. But instead, Christ has taken away my sins, just like that family conversation. That's Christ's forgiveness that you hear from the lips of your little one or from your bride. Yahweh is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Uh, the Lutheran, the Lutheran Study Bible suggests that might be the island of Crete, which the Philistines had some interaction with. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. The picture here of growing, basically growing old um, and failing as a civilization. The Philistia will be done. Their time, their day has come. They used to have five chief cities. So you've got Gaza and Ashkelon here mentioned in the this text, also Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. So those three are nowhere to be seen, possibly already gone themselves. Remnant of their valley. So at this point, Philistia is just a remnant, just a small group of people. How long will you gash yourselves? We saw that back in chapter 41 that the the Jews were doing this. This is a, a type of way to pray to a false god that by inflicting harm upon yourself, it was a form of self-sacrifice that would appease the gods and get their attention. That's not how Yahweh teaches us, not how Jesus teaches us. So don't do this. So the Philistines are praying to their false gods, but there's no answer. Verses 6 and 7 then come to the idea of Yahweh being the one who bears the sword. It is Yahweh's judgment that has come. His judgment is active. 
So how long until you are quiet? How long until the judgment ends? How can it be quiet when Yahweh has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon and against the seashore, so they're on the sea, he has appointed it. Now remember the sword word here, and God has appointed the sword. I'm not going into government with this. As I as I wrap up our conversation for today, I want you to remember that God's word is described at several places in the scriptures as a sword. So here we can go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's often talked about as law and gospel, piercing through the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Revelation 2.12, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So that picture of God wielding the sword, but that sword being his word. Again, God is the one who spoke all things into existence. He can speak things out of existence if he chooses to. And so God's word, his sword, is appointed. That gives us Isaiah 55, 11. God said, My word, so shall be my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God sends his word, he sends his sword into creation with a purpose And it will not be sheathed, it will not be put back into the scabbard until it has accomplished the goal for which it was sent. That is something that even though this is definitely a judgment text, we can pick up on that idea a little bit. You have been given the sword of the Lord, not a physical one to do violence, but the word that comes, every word that comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ for the good of your neighbor. So this text is a judgment text against the Philistines that the Lord has condemned them, he will defeat them, judge them, because they have, even in this text, they're gashing themselves as they pray to a false god. They have brought their own destruction. They have brought judgment upon themselves.